Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to Cave the Cross Apologetics. I am Patrick. And I'm Tony. And this is the show that invites you to go, well, sure, God's word is true, but do we know that? Are we mm. arguing like it? And so uh, that's what we're doing here uh, with uh, Apologetics, a justification of Christian belief by the John Frame. John Frame, well known and respected in the apologetic circles. Uh, he's written this book. It's a, a, a second edition. Uh, the the newest edition has recently come out within the last month on Audible. So if you want to listen to it there, all the links are in the description. Uh, Kindle, uh, hardcover, softcover, uh, Logos, if uh, you're using that. And so you can find it at uh, various sites as well. So uh, this is uh, kind of a, a, a popular book um, uh, written for kind of the where we did Bonson's book as more of a high school introductory college level. This one is more of a, a college level, but that's why you pay us the big money to uh, break it down for you. <laughs> and so we're in the midst of chapter one. We've kind of covered uh, what apologetics is, the purpose of apologetics, and also what presuppositionalism is uh, uh, that uh, that uh, frame views as the most consistent and biblically based apologetic method out there. And so uh, we've we've gone through that, and you can uh, uh, back up to the last episode for uh, part one of of uh, chapter one of the basics. But now we're going to get into uh, the circularity argument because it seems to be yeah. Because this one this one is uh, an objection to the presuppositionalist approach, right? Sure, sure. And so you you have this this harsh circularity of of the uh, characterizedness of. Uh, general Christians in general saying, uh, well, I believe the Bible because it's God's word. Well, it tells me it's good God's word, so therefore I believe the Bible. Well, are, are we doing the same thing? Are we saying, well, we have the foundation for all apologetics. The Bible tells me that it's the, the source for all apologetic methodology. And so I believe it because the, this is the way that happens. Okay, so that's what we're gonna cover here in a circular argument, question mark. Does yeah, and, and also, also, we might want to point out not only does unbel do unbelievers would suggest that it's kind of that there's a circularity, but even other approaches to apolog uh, apologetics suggest that the presuppositionist approach is circular. In fact, that's the biggest, uh, you know, fault, you know, with scare <laughs> quotes that other positions find with regard to presuppositions. Well, it's circular. How can you, you know, assume that the Bible is true and then try to prove that the Bible is true? It's just a circular argument. It's not a good methodology, and so you shouldn't be using it. It's ridiculous. And so Frame wants to go after that particular objection to presuppositionalist uh, apologetics, and so that's what he does here in this particular section. Mm -hmm. Right. So does this mean that we are called to embrace circular arguments only in one sense? Ooh, okay. So we're kind of admitting it is a little bit circular. <laughs> oh, maybe there's a reason for it. We are not yeah. called to use arguments such as this. So this is what we're not called to do. The Bible is true. Therefore, the Bible is true. That would be well, that's circular. Right? That, that would be adding nothing to the conversation whatsoever. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Bible is true is a good statement, but why therefore the bible is true that's not what we're doing here one can certainly say that there is a kind of circularity in presuppositional apologetics but the circularity is neither vicious nor fallacious it sounds circular to say that our faith governs our reasoning and also it is in turn based on rationality but it's important to remember that rationality of which we speak the rationality that serves on the rational basis for faith 
is God's own rationality. So there we're breaking the chain. We're, we're not, we're not going based on our own rationality. We're appealing to God's rationality. Right. So we say God's rationality, right? Is the foundation is the basis of our rationality, which allows us then to do our apologetic methodology. And so the foundation is God, you know, and so we're trying to show that God is indeed the case, that he's true and that sort of thing, but he is the foundation, right? And so we don't want to forget that. He says, if faith is uh, in accord with God's uh, own thought, his rationality, then it goes without saying that it will also be in accord with the best human reason, which, you know, images God, who were created in the image and likeness of God. So God gave us our rational equipment, not to deceive us, but all, but uh, so that we might gain knowledge. So in biblical argument, therefore, uh, there is both reasoning and evidence. The clear revelation that God has given of himself in the created world, right? So that's reasoning. That's a revelation from God that God has given and evidence, a revelation from God that God has given in the created world. So it is both right and proper, he says, to use evidences and human logic to confirm faith. And again, the 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 the, the uh, slam we might say on uh, you know uh, presuppositional apologetics is well, you should use evidence. You don't use evidence, and Frame is saying yes, we are to use evidence. Right? He's not dismissing evidence, but he's suggesting that we have to have a certain ultimate commitment, a foundation. Of course, that is based on uh, the true and the living God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, God calls us, come, let us reason together. Uh, Jesus uh, extols the disciples saying, you've seen so much. How do you not yet know these things? So yeah. there, there's not a uh, justification. Oh, you're, you're saved, you're switched, and you should be perfect from here on in. The calling is to be perfect. The calling is to be more holy. The calling is to conform our hearts to the hearts of Christ. But the 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 learning the 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 call to uh, from from Paul to uh, have the young uh, men uh, learn from the older men from the young women to learn from the older women from uh, the congregation to learn from the apostles and so this this isn't a a a knock against uh, uh, learning or uh, uh, evidences or or that type of apologetics it's what's what is the the basis for which we can. Uh, say all those things are able to be done. And so that's that's where we're grounding our our initial uh, starting point. All right, so does this eliminate, does this fact then eliminate the possibility of communication between believer and unbeliever? Well, it might seem so. The Christian right, argues, so, so notice what the, the problem that he's raising here, right? Well, if we have a uh, philosophical presupposition or a Christian uh, ultimate commitment that we start from, then how do we communicate with the unbeliever if we're starting from a place that they're not starting from, right? How do how do we bridge that particular gap, right? Does this eliminate the possibility, suggesting, of communication with the, uh, you know, between the believer and the unbeliever? Yeah. I mean, it sure seems so, and that's what he says, right? It yeah. seems so, because one one is starting from one place, and then the other one is starting from another place. So where where do you, you know, where is the common ground, we might ask, right? <laughs> right, and again, it's not to give so much common ground to say, well, we all have these kind of uh, same starting points. We're all grounded in, in the knowledge of God, so therefore, I'll, 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 give, I'll give the other side everything possible. 
no, again, make them earn it. Make them uh, substantiate based not on on your worldview. That that doesn't happen yet. It will happen, uh, but make them substantiate it on their own uh, against God, uh, uh, non recognizing of of who God is worldview. And so uh, that's uh, that's what we're calling to do from from the start. Provide the basis. The Christian argues on biblical criteria that the resurrection is a fact. The non-Christian replies that he cannot accept that, those criteria and that he will not accept the resurrection unless we prove it by, say, the standards of Hume's empiricism. You know, uh, it, it, uh, if, if I'm given the, the resurrected body, uh, if, if I'm able to, to go back in time and, and, and have a video uh, pro- provided to me of the resurrection, only then will I believe. We reply that we cannot accept Hume's presuppositions. The unbeliever says that he cannot accept ours. Does this end the conversation? Yes, it does. We all get to go home. Great job, everyone. <laughs> Certainly not. So there are several reasons why, and so we'll we'll cover those now. Right. So so again, the issue here is okay. We have different foundations, right? Hume, Humean, you know, uh, empiricism versus our Christian uh, biblical foundation, right? And so we have these two foundations. The conversation is over because we can't communicate. Again, he's going to say no. Now, he says that at one level, the unbeliever already knows the truth. So this is one of the things that uh, allows for, you know, us to communicate with the unbeliever. In the first place, you know, Scripture says, uh, tells us that God has revealed himself clearly to the unbeliever, even to such an extent that the unbeliever knows God, Romans 1, 21. Well, that's the first point he wants us to see, right? The unbeliever, to a certain extent, already knows the truth mm. at one level. They're suppressing it, right? And so they deny it. They create idols, right? But uh, they already know the truth. So um, uh, so that's one thing. Secondly, he says, our witness to the unbeliever never comes alone. If God chooses to use our witness for his purposes, then he always adds a supernatural element to that witness, the Holy Spirit working in and with the word, right? So that's the second thing. So we're not just out there by ourselves. Uh, God, through the Holy Spirit, is working with and through our witness. Right. And so this is where we can take great comfort in saying, oh, I I forgot to talk about uh, justification, or I forgot to talk about uh, 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 you know, Jesus uh, uh, t- taking the full wrath of God onto himself. Therefore, I've condemned that person to hell because if I would have said this one thing, that might have been the thing that, <laughs> that snuck him into heaven and, and it's, it's ultimately my fault. Well, luckily, especially if you have, uh, you know, a correct understanding of theology, we realize that uh, salvation is a complete work, a monergistic maybe even word uh, that God is solely the author and sustainer of faith. And so um, uh, we can take great comfort in that. Uh, and so, well, then why, why present a, a consistent uh, uh, understanding of apologetics or uh, why, why not just uh, go around the world uh, telling people in, in their own language, Jesus is Lord, repent and be saved. Why don't we, why do we have conversations? Why, why do we engage in, the you know the threefold criteria of, of of proof offensive and defensive well because we're to be the, the the proclaimers of god's message to the world he uh we are used by god in order to 
uh, carry that message. And uh, I, I know I've, I've brought this up before, but it's how I always think about it is that I'm just the conduit. I'm just the, the, the cord that carries the light source to the, the, the person, the, the, the bulb. If it chooses to light up, I want I want to to have the least amount of bends for the the Holy Spirit to go through, and so. Uh, but ultimately, uh, God will choose uh, uh, who to uh, flip the light switch on and and um, um, be in salvation. But I also want to be a good steward of the salvation He gave me, and I want to present the most consistent application of that because by doing so, I am I am mirroring God's thought and I'm mirroring His revelation that saved me. And so th- that's, that's my, my ultimate goal is to not make the person savable, but to be a good witness for, for, uh, who God is. All right. So here's the, the good news. We never run out of topics for discuss- discussion. <laughs> th- th- there's, there's absolutely nothing. You can talk about sports. You can talk about, uh, the, the, uh, the, the moon landing. You can talk about, uh, the the um, explosion of uh, the volcano in Pompeii. Uh, you can talk about absolutely anything because Jesus Christ is Lord of all. Not of some. Not of only on Sundays. Not on the important uh, moral arguments, but absolutely everything. So the Christian apologetics uh, apologists uh, can take many forms. If the unbeliever objects to the circularity of the Christian's evidential arguments, the Christian can simply change to another kind of argument, such as an offensive apologetic against the unbeliever's own worldview or epistemology. Again, it's not its not a game of hungry, hungry hippos where uh, each side has the facts, uh, marbles in front of them, and we just keep slapping the, 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 the butt of the hippo until whoever wins the side has the most amount of marbles. That, that's, not, that's not how the argumentation works, and it's not how uh, uh, we are to offer it. All facts are God's facts, and all the marbles belong on his side of the board anyways. And so uh, he says, uh, again, not all circularity is created equal. We have elsewhere, he tells us, distinguishing between narrowly circular and broadly circular arguments. Example of the former would be the Bible is the word of God because it is the word of God. Now, he says this might, uh, you know, itself be a way of saying something like this. The Bible is the word of God because it says it is, right? And, but uh, again, that's not the kind of circularity that he is uh, he's dealing with. Right. And we, we do want the Bible to say this. We do want the Bible to right. say the, the Bible is the word of God. And also we want it to say exactly that. And so that, yeah. that, that, that yeah. helps us. Uh, but as far as an argumentation, uh, that, that's it's not not quite good enough. It, it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't meet the threshold of an argument. All right, so the unbeliever will likely dismiss it out of hand unless a great deal of explanation is given. We may overcome those disadvantages to some extent by moving to the broader circular argument. And the broader circular argument says this, the Bible is the word of God because of various evidences. And then it specifies those evidence. So we can talk about uh, how it um, uh, 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 allows for prophecy and fulfilled prophecy. Uh, we can point to uh, uh, King Cyrus and and him being named even before he came about, but then they just move the goalpost and say, well, you know, Daniel's written after, after it. And so this is, you know, a, a kind of uh, sneaking God's prophecy. in. Uh, it could be uh, looking at the very um, historical uh, evidences and saying this matches history. Uh, but then you say, uh, well, you know, things like um, uh, uh, the, the exodus of Egypt or of, of the walls of Jericho. Again, uh, the, People come along and, and want to disprove it in the same way that we want to prove it. Uh, there are yeah, so notes, evidences for yes. the resurrection, stuff like that. 
Right. So notice again what he does here, right? He says uh, he appeals to evidence. Now, again, the slam, as I mentioned earlier on presuppositionalism, is, you know, you don't use evidence. You use circular. It's a circular argument. But notice he suggests that using evidence is perfectly fine. So he's a presuppositionalist, right? This is the methodology that he he uses. And he says using evidence is part of the deal, right? So you don't dismiss evidence, even though you're presuppositions. Right. Yeah. And, and it's not just, uh, you know, physical, uh, concrete creational evidence. This could be philosophical evidence as well. The, the, the argumentations can come about that way as well. All right. So now the argument is still circular in a sense because the apologist chooses, evaluates and formulates these evidences in a way controlled by scripture. Again, the basis for our determination of what counts as evidence. All things are evidence. And so we want to put them in the proper perspective. Oh, this, this, uh, the, the, the Holocaust happened. It's the most evil thing that uh, we can point to in the history of the world, even though uh, if you look over greater amounts uh, uh, within history, you could probably find a higher body count or higher um, uh, ideas of, of uh, people being inhumane to other humans. Uh, but it's always a, a, a good uh, stickler source that all philosophers uh, should point to uh, because it's the easiest one to, uh, to relate to uh, these days. And so, right, and um, we have and we have a basis for evil. We have right. a we have a, a, a you know a way to determine what is evil. It's based on the character and revelation of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, the atheist has would struggle with that foundation. Right? What's the foundation for saying anything? Well, mm-hmm. suffering. Well, so what? Suffering happens all the time, right? What's the big deal? Well, you know, it doesn't you know add to human uh, flourishing. Who cares whether humans flourish or not? Right? <laughs> what about ant flourishing? Right. So there is no good rational basis, right, outside of um, the scriptural uh, idea that God, His character, His goodness determines, gives us a, a way to evaluate what evil is. Right. Other than that, we're just kind of, uh, you know, stuck in our own little world with what we think is okay. <laughs> right. Yeah, it, we're, we're always trying to, uh, I think, uh, attempt to play uh, a little catch up. So if, if we think about uh, how, how do you prove your name? Well, we can point to our birth certificate. We can point to, well, you know, here's all the people that call me this name. But you have to take it based on a understanding that, well, you know, you, you could have been abducted when you were a child. And that's not really your name. That's just the name that you've been given now. And so, uh, you know, that that, that, that that's the, the, the basis for where is where is the foundation the foundation can be in revelation if the source is trusted and so if your parents said well yeah uh our fault uh, we accidentally abducted you from the hospital there was a switch uh the babies went up in the air we didn't know who was who uh we're calling you this but it's clear because you have red hair and no one in our family has red hair that you're this other child <laughs> and this is your real name well that would be a huge a huge revelation to you but it's still a revelation based on evidences and then also on testimony and so again like with hume hume won't ever allow hume would never allow testimony to come into it but then he misses out on things like the full revelation of god or his own name by the way the basis of hume's uh, belief has to you know he says that universal agreement well that's just what is that that's that's testimony from everybody. Whoops, <laughs> right. right? So now he's, you know, you have to revert back to testimony, Hume, in order to have universal agreement. 
universal agreement among people means that people have testified that this is the case. So he's used so he's 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 using a circular argument. Right? Oh man, all right. <laughs> All right. So, but this type of, of use of evidences in a controlled way by scripture, this uh, argument tends to hold the unbeliever's attention longer and may be more persuasive, especially if, if you're saying this is what uh, you have to account for as well. And so that might get kind of the, the thought process a little bit more. Circularity in the sense that uh, he has con uh, conceded it can be as broad as the whole universe for every fact witnessed to the truth of God. Again, where is Jesus Lord of? He's Lord of all. And so you have the entirety of all human history, experience, and creation outside of humanity uh, at your beck and call. Go forth and tell people about it. <laughs> yeah. All right, next what he does is moves to this section that he calls God's responsibility and ours. He says the relation of divine sovereignty to human responsibility is one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith. And it's plain from scripture that any case that both are, are real and that both are important is indeed true, right? They're both real and they're both important. Although God is sovereign, human obedience is of the utmost importance. God will fill and subdue the earth, Genesis 1.28 tells us but only through human effort, right? Which is 29 and 30. He will gather his elect from all the nations into his church. That's what God will do. But only through faithful human preaching, right? So notice we have both and here with regard to God's sovereignty and human uh, obedience. Mm -hmm. He works through human obedience, right? So it's important for us, he tells us, to maintain this particular balance between the divine sovereignty and human obedience, even in apologetics. Right. And, uh, Genesis uh, 50, what you intended for evil and carried out and did, God intended for good and did and allowed you to do and allowed me not to be killed. This is Joseph talking. And so this, this, uh, uh, both and, uh, is seen throughout, uh, scripture, uh, especially in, even in Genesis. All right. So we just believe the Bible. So scriptura, that that's, that's all we have. That's, that's all there is. is, is can we just make the case from, from the Bible? And, and, uh, there's, there's no need to defend it. Well, the Bible needs no defense can always, uh, can also be used somewhat differently as a way of invoking the Protestant principle of Sola Scriptura, the sufficiency of Scripture is there. Sola Scriptura does not require the exclusion of all extra-biblical data, even from theology. It simply requires that in theology and in all other disciplines, the highest authority, the supreme standard, must be Scripture and Scripture alone. You know, we can point to uh, the divines, as they're called, of the Westminster Confession, <laughs> and we can look to the confessions, but even the confessions rightfully say, uh, if we've erred, go back to the scripture. Uh, the, the Reformation was ad fontes, going back to the sources. Uh, seeing uh, uh, what Luther read as giving alms is actually not the case. And so it's a complete reliant, not on yourself, but on God for salvation. Um, all, all these things, we go back uh, to foundation in the church for things in Sola Scriptura. But it's not to say we can't look at the bone in the dirt and go, oh, the flood happened. Well, it, I thought you were sola scriptura. Well, it's not so low scriptura, it's sola scriptura in that it is the basis, the supreme standard, the highest authority we have is scriptura. Right, and so he asked us, 
uh, what about using extra biblical, historical, or scientific data to, to confirm biblical teaching? He says, surely some might say to do that implies that we have more confidence in this data, right, because we're confirming scripture with it, than we do in the Bible, that we consider this data to have more credibility, one might say, right? Well, his reply is no, that's negative, right? He says, I have far more confidence in the truth of the biblical history than I have in the reliability of, for example, Josephus, right? <laughs> uh, but... Uh, you know, he thinks occasionally uh, Josephus will confirm biblical statements, and so he thinks it's perfectly legitimate to mention that fact in the apologetic discussion, right? So you don't throw out extra biblical and historical data, but you use it in an apologetic dis uh, uh, discussion appropriately, right? We may use, he says, extra biblical data in apologetics, but not as an independent criteria to which to judge scripture, right? Or to, that scripture must measure up to. No, no, no. We can use it, but it, but scripture is our final authority, right? Because it, it's, it's, it comes from God. Right. Or why would we go to church? Why don't we just take the Bible and read it and we'd be good? Uh, why do we pray? Why do we meet with other believers? Why, why do we read commentaries? Why do we um, read Christian living books or parenting books? Why, why, why do we uh, get information from uh, uh, other believers on history, on things the Bible doesn't speak about? But the question is, you take that book of what you're reading and you place it on the foundation of scripture. And from the, the lens of scripture is how you read that book. And so if there are things that say uh, uh, items contrary to what scripture is, you need to be able to uh, explain it away or answer it in such a way that makes sense with um, aligning with God's word. Uh, because again, we're not, we're not overviewing the, the book and saying from this book, what do I see in scripture? That's true. And only that is what I can take away. No, we're reading up through the lens of scripture. All right. Sola scripture and natural revelation. Well, we just all have nature. We look out in the world and we, we see it and, and that should be good enough, especially for the other person. And so we will give them we'll give them nature and, and we can all exist there because that's where that, that's our home is nature. Well, to relate scripture to its context is to relate it to a natural revelation, though. The natural revelation is the revelation of God in everything that he has made. And that's uh, uh, Romans one is as a as a perfect and clear um, uh, presentation of this, but also Psalm 19 and 104. It includes human beings who are made in his image, as seen in uh, Genesis 1.27 and James 3. But every human being is surrounded by God's revelation, even within himself. I am made in the image of God, who is everybody. Everyone is made in his image. And so even the person who hates God the most, if, if you've got that picture in your mind of who that is, even that person is made in the image of God. And so witnesses to him own self when he brushes his teeth. This includes, of course, the unbeliever. Right. And so, you know, the issue here then is, well, what about natural revelation? Right? I mean, that's what the uh, one version of evidentialists appeal to, right? They go to the natural revelation to get us to God, right? And so he's trying, trying to work through that particular issue. And he says, natural revelation reveals the eternal power and nature of God. It also reveals his moral standards, his wrath against sin, 
uh, you know, but it does not reveal, and here's the issue, God's plan of salvation, which comes specifically through the preaching of Christ. Mm. We have that preaching of Christ in definitive form in the scriptures, and on the authority of scripture, we continue pre- to preach the gospel to the world. So we, we uh, yes, natural revelation reveals God, but it's, it's, uh, it's limited in terms of uh, how it allows for salvation is mm-hmm. the point he's trying to make. Right. Yeah, and a, a reading of Romans 1 uh, really uh, hones this, this next point is, why do we need two forms of revelation? Well, for one thing, direct divine speech shortens the learning curve. If God can say, I made this all, uh, who are you to say, oh man, uh, were you there in the beginning? Uh, <laughs> go and, and preach to the Ninevites, how dare you uh, go against the, the, the a true and living God? Well, hopefully the learning curve shortens, but sometimes you need to go into a big fish in order to, to learn your lesson. Yeah, so notice that, so it's almost like cheating on a test, right? God can can give you the answers. Sometimes you don't have, know the answers. And so God, so instead of trying to come up with them yourselves or experience them and that sort of thing, God just gives them to us, right? And that's what revelation, that's what the scriptures are all about. Right. It shortens that learning curve. It tells us what we need to know, you know, uh, without having us going through all the processes that will maybe get us there and maybe not. So even unfallen Adam needed to hear God's direct speech that supplemented and interpreted God's revelation in nature. So even Adam before the fall needed direct revelation. He just didn't see the tree and go, Oh, I need to stay away from there because it looks good. Well, no, God actually needed to to say, stay away. But after the fall, at least two other reasons for special divine speech entered the picture. One was man's need of a saving promise, a promise that could never be deduced from natural revelation alone. And I think this is the, uh, a, a big critique of, of, of uh, you know, kind of traditional apologetics is, okay, you can get to, to somebody to uh, a, a, a deity, you can get them to the resurrection, but resurrection of Jesus, fine, but now he'll save me and resurrect me. Well, how do you know that without appealing to the Bible? Now, you know, there are people who are going to say, uh, you know, if I've gotten that far, then opening up God's word is good enough. But at the same time, how do we know that Jesus is the one to save us? And so uh, am I sneaking in the Bible when I've when I've not really had to use it up until this point as the foundation for my belief? Well, when it comes to all works of faith and practice, like the Catholics, th- this this is where the Bible is useful for us. Mm, probably not. <laughs> All right. So that's the first reason. The other reason was uh, to correct our sinful misinterpretations of natural revelation. In Romans 1, 21 and 32, it shows what people do with natural revelation when left with no other word of God. They repress it. They disobey it. They exchange it for a lie. They disavow it and honor those who rebel against it. So much so that God says, All right, you want to live that way? Fine. Here you go. And then people curse him when they say, Oh, how could you allow such evil? <laughs> Because you wanted it. You want you wanted this yeah, the, the, yeah. to be the way. Gives you what you want. Yeah. How dare and so you? he tells us the Yeah. <laughs> so God thus has uh, given us scripture or special revelation, both to two things, right? Supplement natural revelation by adding to it, you know, the message of salvation. And secondly, 
to correct our misuses of natural revolution. So granted this approach there uh, need be no competition there, he says, and this is the point he's trying to make, between presuppositions and evidences. Our scripture nothing more than the application of scripture to our situation. Use of evidence is not contrary to sola scripture, but a fulfillment of that principle. And so that's what he wants us to see. Right. So scripture authorizes us to use evidence and the use of evidence is nothing more than the application of the scripture. So that, that, that's the, again, the, the foundational basis for looking up through God's word from the foundation basis and not down at God's word and, and trying to pick out, all right, where, where do, where do these things, uh, um, coincide or, or, or come into agreement with, or what will the other side al allow me to, to view as evidence? So, <laughs> all right. And then finally values, um, what is the use and purpose and the value of apologetics is if all we have to do is preach the word and say, uh, here's what Jesus said about salvation. What, what's what's the purpose for our apologetics? What What's the, the value of it? Since apologetics and preaching are uh, perspectively related, the benefits of the two are the same. As preaching leads to the conversation and the conversion of the loss and the edification of the saints, so does apologetics, especially if you're using the presuppositional method that takes God's word as true and the underlying basis for all knowledge. When we're preaching, we're doing apologetics. When we're apologizing, we're doing preaching just in a different form than, you know, a, a, a type of pastor. All right, exactly. Okay, so dangers is, is the thing now that he wants us to be aware of. He says, James warns us not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness, right? James chapter three. If we do not teach, he says, our errors uh, uh, affect only ourselves, right? But if we do teach, our errors can affect uh, others also. Thus, errors in those who teach are more serious and will be judged more severely is what James is telling us. The apologist is, you know, as he, as he has shown us here, a teacher. Therefore, the scriptural warnings about teachers also apply to apologists. So that's a warning and they need to be aware of. Yeah. yeah I, th I think uh, people take the kind of quote attributed to uh, Spurgeon of uh, um, you know, the, the, the Bible needs no defense. He's like a lion cage. You just let him loose. Well, that might be true, but you know, who isn't the lion in that picture? We're not. So we, we go back to, to the second half of, of the first Peter three there. And with gentleness and respect is, uh, the, the goal in which we provide an answer for the hope that we have making Christ Lord of, of, uh, of all and setting him apart in our hearts and in our apologetics. But can we be more specific? If our theme verse of 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, Peter urges apologists to keep a good conscience so that those who slander them will be put to shame. It is interesting that Peter does not urge apologists to be intelligent and knowledgeable, although such qualities are certainly helpful, good, but <laughs> to lead consistently godly lives. Let your apologists be in both word and in in living. So it, it's not, it's not, uh, uh, preach the gospel, but uh, when necessary, use words. No, no, the, the <laughs> words are there, but also live godly lives. Uh, show show the application. So if, if apologetics is the application of scripture to unbelief, 
Well, apologetics is also the application to belief. And so uh, th that's, that's, uh, that's one of the uh, um, most helpful convictions uh, that we can have is we're being watched by people who want to know, want to lie, uh, want to misconstrue, but who were also us at, at one point in time who hated God and need to hear the gospel just as much as we did and do and will do as well. So that's the, uh, the, the proper approach to take both in word and in action. Right. So we, we preach the gospel and we don't live as heathens. That's what we need to do. All right. He says, still more specific, apologists are subject to the same sins that everyone else is. But over the years, they have been especially prone to sins in two particular areas. And so, again, these are dangers that we need to be aware of. Uh, in terms of Ephesians 4.15, which urges us to speak the truth in love, we may say that apologists have sometimes been guilty of speaking falsehoods and sometimes of speaking without love. So those are the two areas that he wants us to, to be aware of, right? Right. The, the the term, I don't know, let me find out, can I get back to you later, are, are, should be music to your ears uh, because right. it, it makes it makes you humble. And also uh, sometimes you might have to excuse yourself because you're getting worked up. And so if you're, if you're Twitter posting back and forth, it's okay to go. I'll let you have the last word. Um, I, I, I'll bow out for the sake of, of the conversation, not getting heated. Uh, that, 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 right. that's always been a, uh, a trajectory that I try to go on and uh, uh, hopefully uh, uh, succeed in a number of places. Yeah. It, it, again, as he mentioned, you know, we're not the only it's just not between us and the, the unbelievers. God is part of this. The Holy Spirit is part of the conversation. Yeah. And so we don't have to win or <laughs> defeat necessarily. Right. We yeah. can just put the word out there uh, and live our lives. Right. Make Christ the Lord of our lives and trust that God will you know, take care of the rest. Do his part of the deal. Mm hmm. It, it's it's why the Christian has the Bible and not the sword as the main motivator for salvation. Yeah. All right. So the first is often a condemned in the New Testament uh, polemic against false teaching. Not speaking falsehoods is should be what Christians are known for. And uh, we should when we hear false teaching, it should be viewed as uh, a ravenous wolf who's there to, to fill in strife and we should reject it. Sometimes that's hard to figure out who's wrong, who's lying, and who's teaching uh, apostasy. Not not everyone who's, who has a different interpretation of you is a, a heretical, uh, um, you know, wolf in sheep's clothing. And, you know, uh, uh, John MacArthur thinks that you can take the mark of the beast uh, afterwards if, if you're held down <laughs> and it's forced upon you. Uh, you know, he's he's providing a, 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 um, a thought um, process, but, um, you know, uh, Calling, calling people that uh, don't believe in the rapture or do believe in the rapture uh, heretical or believe in Calvinism or don't believe in Calvinism as, as being outside the confines of, of good Christian values is, is, not, uh, is not where we want to be. But we do want to call out false teaching. And we, if we're perpetuating false teaching because we've learned inappropriately, we want to correct that and, and be open and honest about that as well. It's remarkable, remarkable how many heresies, uh, uh, Frame says, are traceable to apologetic motives. Interesting. Sometimes uh, someone will think, if I'm able to show present Christianity more persuasively, I will have to show that it is compatible with the intellectual movements of my time. I must present Christianity as intellectually respectable. 
oh yeah, that's, that's what we want. We want to be respectful to all our time. So let's just get rid of any semblance of morality or consistency. Let's embrace postmodernism. Uh, but then sneak all all that stuff back in later, or maybe keep it out for good. And our churches just become big reading rooms of of uh, passing the potato salad. Yes, various Christian doctrines are comprised uh, are comprised replaced by the doctrine of popular philosophy, and that's not what we want to do. Because again, wh- where's our basis? Where's our foundation in the intelligentsia in the the confines of the colleges? in the understanding of political movements or do we ground ourselves on the word of god who says i have made all things and by him and through me uh, all things are sustained and have their meaning yeah. it's hard to go against that right right so so you know again you know uh, we need to be careful with regard to false teaching because <laughs> you know we're motivated to be persuasive Right. And so that might uh, cause us to have false teaching uh, and or, you know, we want to have maybe common ground with the uh, unbeliever. We, uh, and so false teaching can sneak in. And then lastly, uh, the opposite violation, he says, in Ephesians 15 um, is speaking without love. So we're to speak the truth in love. Mm. To defend the Christian faith with a quarrelsome spirit is to defend Christianity plus quarrelsomeness, right? Because we've added now that particular attitude to the difference of Christianity, a self-destructive kind of hybrid, he tells us, right? Christianity and quarrelsomeness. True Christianity, he says, the Christianity that we are called to defend with word and life says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God, Matthew 5, 9. And um, if possible, Romans uh, 12 says, so far as it depends on you, live peacefully uh, with all uh, people. And so God is telling us, or uh, frame rather, is telling us that God is saying that we need to be careful of these dangers, speaking the truth in love. So we don't lose the truth and we're not to be quarrelsome with those that we're sharing with. Right. And so he, he, he warns us against those dangers. Yeah. Uh, we, we shouldn't think that we're suffering persecution uh, because uh, people don't like the way that we present the gospel if we're being uh, very abrupt and, and uh, condescending and jerkous. We, we can't say, oh, uh, just as Christ suffered on the cross, I too am suffering for his namesake, therefore I'm blessed. And it's it's also n- uh, not to say, well, th- they're hating God by by listening to the truth as I uh, uh, beat them over the head and and have an <laughs> ungracious spirit. It, it, it no, sometimes I, I mean yes, they do hate God, but also m- maybe they hate you as well. And so we should yeah, yeah. we we shouldn't want that type of uh, uh, condescending attitude uh, because it, it first of all it devalues uh, true persecution and and true. Um, understanding and it also uh, devalues the uh, working of the spirit in in our lives that that we're supposed to be trajectoried to uh, you know we, we we should be opposed to the world but uh, our our opposition should be one of of focusing on God and not on uh, being rebels against uh, current political movements 
Uh, so that's, that's not what we're called to, to, to do. Uh, we can be good farmers uh, and, and still be hated by God and be blessed for that. Uh, but we can also be uh, really important thinkers of our time and just be really mean towards people. And uh, <laughs> God, God would, would like the, the quiet farmer over, over that. The mean guy. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that kind of ends uh, his first chapter here. Uh, he's, you know, the basics here. And so he, he kind of spells out some of the basics. Now he'll go further here and help us to understand, uh, you know, clear what's going on with regard to his apologetic method. Right. And so uh, join us next time as we uh, we turn to chapter two and uh, we figure out where, where do we go from here? We've made the case for presuppositionalism. And now what? Thanks yeah, for joining so us. He's going to talk about the message of the apologies. Mm, OK, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. See you next time.